Today is Inauguration Day. The peaceful transfer of power, much touted as a singular and unique construct of American governance, looks like the transfer of power under military occupation as tens of thousands of U.S. troops make Washington, D.C. look like a green zone or a war zone. Do these extraordinary political circumstances impact the real economy or economic policy? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality, there's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis, and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolff join us for our regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. We also talk in this segment about how the economy can be reconstituted on a new basis so that the needs of people and the planet come first. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He is the author of many books, the latest being The System is the Sickness, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemic or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf, that's R-D-W-O-L-F-F dot com. Richard Wolf, welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So I mentioned in the introduction that the District of Columbia, where I am, looks like an armed camp. The public is not allowed to come to the inauguration ceremonies. In fact, there are no inauguration ceremonies. It would have been limited anyway because of COVID, but because of this uh, assault on Congress last week, uh, nothing is being taken for granted this week. But the question that I asked in the introduction is, does this event on January 6th and the subsequent actions by the U.S. government, will it impact U.S. economics or U.S. economic policy? What's your, what's your thought on that? Yes, the, the answer is it definitely will. And let me tell you how it will, because it's not so immediately obvious. What was on display, and let's remember that every major media outlet, probably in every country of the world, uh, put at front page the images of the folks that scaled the wall into the Capitol, that rampaged through the halls of the Capitol, sitting in the desks normally reserved for elected representatives and so on, those images were flashed everywhere. And it was explained to the audiences, I looked at some of them, that the police and military were either absent or incapable of managing to prevent this, that uh, senators and representatives feared for their lives and for their you know, physical safety. 
um, and that the president of the United States uh, was watching on television as all of this happened, having encouraged those people literally minutes earlier to make the march down there to quote unquote fight like hell. All of those points were made. And the display then, followed by the images now of the military, in a sense having been insufficient before, kind of overdoing it on the other side now, yes, it sends a message to the world that if you thought that the United States now and in the years to come is going to play the role that it could and did play in the last 30 or 40 years, well, you are mistaken. Those images have now left the rest of the world feeling that the United States, which was the dominant power pretty much since the Second World War, keeping the peace where it did, fighting the wars where it did, shoring up the governments that needed American support to survive, and there were many of them, all of those kinds of roles played by the United States in the past no longer look like they can be played now. There's too much internal division. There's too much internal hostility. There's too much of a question which way the political wind will blow to a Biden, to a Trump, to whoever their followers are. The United States is not the safe place to keep your money. The United States is not the safe place to count on to keep the world from going in other directions. The baton is being passed, and I don't mind telling you where the world sees it's being passed to. It's not passing from the United States just anywhere. It's passing from the United States to the People's Republic of China, and the world is adjusting. Every business, every bank, every government, every aspiring politician and every politician in office is reconsidering what they do in the light of a United States whose decline is now obvious, punctuated by those events uh, on the 6th of January. Richard, you know, if we were having uh, a discussion, you say in 19... 77, 78, 79. At that time, the U.S. really looked like an empire in decline. I mean, there was the loss in Vietnam, in Cambodia, in Laos. Uh, we had earlier in 1970 when Ronald Reagan took, um, you know, took the the American dollar off the gold standard. Uh, when there was massive inflation, I mean, really, really high double digit inflation. Then there were, you know, there was a revolution in Portugal in 1974 and in Guinea-Bissau, Angola, Mozambique, revolutions in 76 and 77. Ethiopia even said it had a socialist government. And then there was the uh, socialist government in Afghanistan and then the Iranian revolution in 79 and the Nicaraguan revolution in 79, all of those things happened. It really looked like America was on the ropes. And and uh, Al Haig and Ronald Reagan came into office and Haig said famously, we're going to stop the communist winning streak. We're going to get back on in the saddle. 
uh, Reagan doubled the military budget. The U.S. temporarily made China an ally and allowed China to integrate into the world economy and allowed foreign you know, corporations to, to invest in China, unlike the USSR, which had been basically you know, heavily sanctioned and embargoed. Even they couldn't sell one computer by law to, to the Soviet Union. And then you know, a decade later, the Soviet Union surprisingly collapsed and the US thought, oh, wait, we're not a declining empire. We're back we're back in the saddle. And that's when all this talk about unipolar world and, you know, there was invasions, the war in Yugoslavia, the invasion in Iraq and Afghanistan, you name it. And here we are 2020. And it looks, as you're saying, uh, again, that crisis, that sense that was so predominant back in the, during the Carter administration, it, it seems to have come again. It sort of shows that the, the overall trajectory is going in the same direction, but there was this blip, perhaps, un- unexpected, unanticipated blip based on conjunctural events that allowed the U.S. to, to resume its role as the number one. Uh, but again, uh, the world is changing. Yes, look, I am not making a prediction. I don't believe in them when other people do it, and I'm not going to get into the business uh, myself. Capitalism has been a very resilient system for quite a while. Is it possible that it will find a way out of the current set of dilemmas? The answer is unequivocally yes. Um, I don't see it, but that doesn't mean it isn't there and that I'm missing it like any other person could miss it. But I look at the problems, and here's what I see. We have now the worst economic crash since the Great Depression. And if it continues a few more years, and if it gets worse, which, by the way, right now it is doing, it could, in the end, become the number one crash in capitalism's history. It is already more global than it was back then, in the sense that the whole world is caught up in it. Number two. It happens together with the worst uh, public health disaster that the world has faced in a long time, with the particular worst case of that disaster here in the United States, which has proven itself unprepared to manage it compared to countries with much fewer resources, incapable of containing it, compared with countries with much fewer, with many fewer resources who've done a better job of being prepared and a better job of containing it. We now have more people who died from COVID in the United States than died in, in World War II in terms of the, the immediately involved uh, population. It, it's extraordinary. To have a catastrophe of this magnitude in public health at the same time that you have a catastrophe of a crash of capitalism, the first, the worst, in other words, of the three that we've had in this century, that's a one-two punch unlike anything else. But it's worse in two dimensions. Number one, the growing divisions in this country between black and white, which have not been solved, and in some cases have gotten worse, between north and south, between religiously evangelical and those that are less and less religious and more and more secular. And I could go on. You all know those problems have been kicked down the road, but now they are resurfacing in the worst possible moment. And then finally, in 1975, 
you did not have a rising capitalist power, that is a power with big corporations able to mobilize the most advanced technology across the board. That was not a description of the Soviet Union in 1975, but it is a description of the People's Republic of China in 2021. That is an ascending power across the board, and especially in those areas of telecommunications, computer, and so on, where the United States was back then clearly number one, and right now is not clearly number one. It's contesting for the position of number one with someone who's obviously catching up and, according to most reports, will surpass as an economic unit the United States uh, in a few years. By few, I mean five or six. So... There are uniquenesses about the difficulties we face uh, that are beyond what we faced before. Again, that doesn't guarantee anything. Nobody knows the future. Nobody can expect and account for everything that can happen. But I will tell you this, and this is something in which I find myself in agreement with right-wing economists and with people to the middle and to the left. We all agree, not on what got us into this mess and not how to get out of it, but we agree it's the worst condition of the American economy in our lifetimes, and I have white hair. Richard, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal, uh, front page from yesterday, and um, it says, Goldman that means Goldman Sachs, Goldman profit more than doubles powered by trading. This is the first paragraph. The Wall Street firm reported sharply higher profit for the fourth quarter, punctuating a turbulent year in which banks benefited from the market's quick recovery from the worst of the pandemic-induced recession. Now, in the last week, last week, there was 900 and 50,000 or so people filed for unemployment. So as you said, it's getting worse. 900, almost 900,000 people, I believe, filed for unemployment or more than 900,000 filed for unemployment insurance. Uh, We have in the last four weeks, 100,000 Americans have died just in the last four weeks from COVID. And here you have uh, the quick recovery from the worst of the pandemic-induced recession. It says here in the Wall Street Journal that the worst is behind us. Well, for for the banks, for the people who own stocks, and let's just remember, 10% of the shareholders own 80% of the shares. For that tiny minority of our society, it's true. The worst of the pandemic and the crash are behind them. Doesn't mean it won't crash for them again. But much more importantly, it doesn't mean that anything like that is true for the other 90% of the people. Clearly, from all the statistics that I read, at least half, probably two-thirds of the American people are in worse shape today economically than they were uh, in uh, a year ago before the pandemic and the crash hit. The crash started in February and the pandemic hit us in March of last year. 
So what you're really telling me with that headline from the Wall Street Journal is that the level of inequality in this country, which an overwhelming majority of Americans in poll after poll indicate is something they don't want. They want less inequality, a lot less. What we're hearing from the Wall Street Journal tells us that the less inequality that people wanted is not what they got. What we got is an extreme aggravation of an already extreme inequality. The rich got richer and the vast majority got poorer, however you measure the details. That level of inequality to any economist worth his or her salt would be an enormous critical problem for this society. That level of inequality is culturally, politically, and economically devastating, especially for a country like the United States, which spent the entire 20th century congratulating itself that it was the kind of capitalism that created a well-paid working class, or in the preferred language of the United States, a vast middle class. That is gone. It isn't coming back. It fuels a level of rage and anger that was part of what was on display on January 6th. If inequality is a serious social problem, and virtually everyone I know across the political spectrum agrees more or less, then that situation, bad in the beginning of 2020, is markedly worse today. What the World Wall Street Journal should be talking about is that problem. It is disingenuous, and I'm being polite, to pick the good news for a few and write it up as if it were to give an insight into the general situation. It's as if you went to a doctor with what you knew to be a deep, basic cancer, and the doctor knew it too. But what the doctor did was stick a thermometer in your mouth, pull it out, say, gee, you're 98.6, you're fine, go home. The problem there is not anything other than a bad doctor and you should find someone else. Richard, uh, and I, I have two other questions and they're, they're related and uh, they're, they have to do with Janet Yellen, but beyond Janet Yellen, she's former chairperson of the Federal Reserve, incoming Treasury Secretary. As you told us in the past, which I hadn't known, um, you, were, you were her classmate Yep. Back when uh, you can, I want you to help for new listeners to talk about that. But here's here's one headline: Yellen tells lawmakers that workers would be her focus. Now that's the Wall Street Journal. Workers will be her focus. Now that's wow. The Treasury Secretary says workers will be her focus. The second question, and but I want you to ask answer the first one first is the sub another article again from the Wall Street Journal Yellen's debt burden now it's hers Yellen's debt burden 21.6 trillion dollars and growing uh after we talk about 
whether Janet Yellen will indeed be focused on workers, uh, I want to ask you a follow-up. Like, does it matter that the U.S. economy, which might be, I don't know what in aggregate it is annually, maybe it's about $20 trillion or thereabouts. Right. Does it matter that the debt is $21.6 trillion and growing? But first, let's talk about the Treasury Secretary is focused on workers. Let me speak briefly to the personal issue with uh, Janet Yellen. She and I were classmates at Yale University getting our PhDs in economics at the same time, uh, roughly. And I had the same teachers she did, and I followed the same curriculum, uh, and I got the same degree uh, that she did. I knew of her all that time, uh, and I have followed her career a little bit since then. I don't uh, question for a moment that she is focused on workers, uh, she's always been a, a liberal by the American standards. I uh, have no reason to think that she's other than that now. But like most liberals, the, re- the phrase, I'm concerned about workers, is all well and good. It, but the real question is, what are you going to do about the condition of workers? And that's where uh, liberals like Janet Yellen have basically come up very short. They haven't been able or willing I I never know which, uh, to think about, let alone to implement, the kinds of uh, policies that workers uh, need. And I see nothing in the uh, statements that uh, Janet Yellen or others around her there uh, are making these days or have made since they've been appointed to give me reason to think otherwise. And, And let me make it very concrete. We have currently, depending on how you count, something like 20 million people collecting unemployment insurance, either from the states, one of the 50 states, or from the federal government, or in a good number of cases, a little bit from both. Uh, What about those 20 million? And if I had time, I would tell you about the many millions more who have dropped out of the workplace. For example, women who have to go back into the home to take care of the children that can't go to school because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. What are you going to do about that? Well, the solution to that problem today is exactly what it was in the Great Depression. The last time we had these kinds of numbers. And what was done in the Great Depression was a federal jobs program. That's right. Overnight, you put people to work by giving them a job in which they were hired by and paid by the federal government to do all kinds of useful social things. Some of the first uh, ecological programs this country ever undertook, the WPA, vast cultural programs. Nowadays, we could get those people to do the testing that we should have been doing for the last year for COVID, to do the Green New Deal, to and on and on. No shortage of things that need to be done. The tragedy is that people like Janet Yellen and those around her, they're not even debating the pros and cons of such a government employment program. They're simply not talking about it. And they're certainly not planning to do it. It's extraordinary to me. If you're interested in workers, those workers have a clear desire and a need. They need work. And you, the federal government, can give them the work and pay them for it and thereby allow them to keep their homes and pay their rent. You're not doing it. You're not even discussing it. So for me, there's nothing here 
about Mr. Biden's economic program, it's way too little, it's the wrong thing, and it's too late for this kind of playing around. Those people are going to get angrier, and the portion of them that express it the way they did on January 6th will grow. The irony of the Biden economic program, this notion that you're going to get back to where things were pre-Trump, avoids the difficult recognition that the economic system we had before Trump is what produced Mr. Trump. And it will do it again, even if the name isn't Trump. Richard, final question. We have about about two minutes. Uh, Yellen's debt burden, $21.6 trillion and growing. Does it matter for the biggest economy in the world? You know, it's an irrelevant question. I mean, yours isn't, but the, 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 the media that pose it. These are conservatives that are beginning to rev up the same stale old arguments. Here's the reality. This is the most extreme crisis that capitalism has faced in at least a century. Both the people advising Mr. Trump and those advising Biden kind of on some level grasp that. They're not going to be held back by doing what was usual. They're going to take extreme steps for them. The sad reality is they're not taking them extreme enough. They're going to worsen the national debt, but that's not the problem. The problem is to keep an economy from collapsing. And if that's your choice, you, you enhance the debt. But the sad reality is they could be spending money on the mass of people who need it most by taxing those who have the most available to be taxed. That's what Roosevelt did in the 30s. He didn't just borrow. He taxed corporations and the rich. That would be a way for the government to help the mass of people without enhancing the deficit if that really was their concern. Their problem is they don't want to do anything on a scale of what the problem requires because it is so different and forces them to confront how serious the crisis is. Wanting to not face it is ironically going to be what makes it worse. We're going to leave it right there. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The System is the Sickness, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at R.D. Wolf, and R.D. Wolf is rdwolff.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. 